Hi, Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 47 of That's a Good Question. Are megachurches man-centered? Welcome and thanks for watching or listening to That's a Good Question. This program is designed to help Christians think biblically about practical events and topics mm -hmm. of our day. And if you find this content helpful, please consider subscribing to our channel and uh, like and um, subscribe. I said subscribe, <laughs> share, like and share this post <laughs> uh, so that others can benefit as well. Last week, Pastor Ken, we started to discuss the philosophy of ministry that undergirds the megachurch. And uh, this, is, this is an approach to church um, uh, that we're asking the question about, is this a good thing? Mm. And um, I encourage our viewers to watch uh, that last episode as that relates to this as well. And then probably the next episode as well as we'll be discussing related topics. Mm -hmm. So you provided some biblical and historical background to inform our answer to this question. Uh, going back to 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul says that he explicitly rejected uh, giving the Corinthians mm -hmm. what was a form of entertainment in their day, rhetoric and oratory, which uh, you at home are probably thinking <laughs> rhetoric and oratory is entertainment, uh, that we think that's strange, but in their day that was entertainment, right. and we find entertainment in other formats, like right. movie, music, uh, but the concept that's is right. the same. Yeah. And Paul says he explicitly rejected packaging his message in a, a form of entertainment so that the results of his ministry wouldn't rest on man's wisdom, his ability to market cleverly, right. but on God's power. Yep. So you also talked about 1 Corinthians 9 uh, that many have used to justify doing whatever it takes to get people through the door mm -hmm. and entertaining them because Paul does say there, I've become all things to all men that I might by uh, all means save some. But you pointed out that the things that he lists there are not additions to uh, his ministry to attract a crowd, right. drama, skits, right. those kinds of things. Right. But he he's listing what he avoids in order to not unnecessarily distract right. from the message. Yep. So it's the desire to attract the crowd that gives rise to today's question about megachurches, are megachurches man-centered? Mm -hmm. So megachurch, uh, to just review, is a, is a term generally that we use to refer to churches with a weekly attendance of 2,000 or more. But last week we were um, careful to point out that right. just because a church is large exactly. doesn't mean it subscribes to this man-centered philosophy. We, we pointed out, um, we mentioned John MacArthur's church in California, which is a very large 3,000 people, I think, at Grace Community Church, somewhere in that ballpark each week. Yeah. But they do not follow the philosophy right. that we're discussing. Right. So it would be wrong to look at a, a very large church and just automatically assume that it's wrong, it's unbiblical, and it's philosophy. Mm -hmm. But many, possibly most, are following this philosophy that we're discussing. So going back to at least the Second Great Awakening then, in America, the mid-1800s, enterprising evangelists, <laughs> uh, pastors who you know are trying to, to get results, 
packaged the product of the gospel in such a way as to produce results. So we left off in the 1970s with the emergence of a church in the Chicago area that completely changed really the landscape Mm -hmm. of the evangelical church, Mm -hmm. um, really affected over the last 40 years. So why don't you pick up with the development of that church and its impact on the American church scene? Well, thanks for that very good summary and an introduction to a topic that I think uh, is very important for contemporary Christians to to understand. We see large churches, and in America, where bigger is always better, Mm, (laughs) we assume that every church not like that's a wannabe, Mm. that we all want to be that, but we, for, you know, whatever reason, we just don't have what it takes to, to get there. Now, that most people think that, was made clear to me when we were purchasing the building in which we we're re- recording this about about eight years ago. Now, you'll remember that we had to go before the city's planning commission yeah. to get approval for this property. Yeah, I do. I do. And the property had to be granted what's called a special use permit because we're in a residential area in a building that used to be an elementary school. It's not unusual for churches to be located in areas that are zoned residential, but when they are, they need what's called the special use permit. Well, any change of zoning requires a notice to go to the neighborhood so residents can show up at the planning commission meeting. They can ask questions, express concerns. The commission can deny the permit, but that would be highly unusual. So anyway, at our meeting, you're going to remember that many residents actually showed up and they were angry. Now, thankfully, they were not so much angry at us, the potential buyers of the building, but rather the city for, in effect, giving the building and property away at the $250,000 purchase price. The residents got all the more angry when the planning commission, remember, told them that that they the residents are directing their ire at the wrong people. Since it wasn't the planning commission that negotiated the sale, it was the school board. Oh, so yeah. they're yeah, kind of getting the, they're getting the runaround a little bit yeah. too. One question for me at that meeting from the residents, understandably, was, "Well, what are your plans for the property? Our building sits on about 15 acres, and they wondered how we might develop those those acres. Would we be looking to build several buildings in addition to the one that we now occupy?" One commissioner, in where, fact... Where, where are we going to put our school? <laughs> get that. Yeah, yeah, who knows? So, you know, they're wondering. They live in this yeah. in this subdivision. In fact, one of the commissioners, not just a resident, one of the commissioners says this to me. He says, are you going to be having concerts, hmm. which will attract large crowds? That's what his idea was of an ambitious, you know, church. I said, I said no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, well... If Steve, I think it was Stephen Curtis Chapman, I think that was who he said. He <laughs> says, if he called and says, I want to do a concert at your church, you'd jump at it. And I said, no, I wouldn't. Now, that's no slam to Stephen Curtis Chapman, though I'm not sure I know a Stephen Curtis. I don't I've heard his name. Yeah, I was going to say, I do. And I, okay. yeah, we, so we might not have him here, but I went to one of his concerts. Okay. So, All yeah, right. Yeah. So he's a good guy, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but no, we wouldn't because it's not because of him, no yeah. slam to him. That's just not what we do. Right. And I also explained, though, with regard to building on the property, that our philosophy is not to simply get larger and larger, mm-hmm. but rather to, Lord willing, plant churches from our church. Our church is itself a plant from another church. Well, after that meeting, 
I spoke with several residents. All of them were cordial, thankfully. But one lady and her husband came up to me, and the lady said, you know, I've never heard of a pastor who doesn't want his church to grow, mm. she said. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I, I didn't say I don't want it to grow. It has grown. I expect it will continue. But I said, we're not looking to grow such that we require more and more buildings. We want to manage the growth and manage the growth by planting churches. Now, all the while, some of you will really appreciate this, that know our former associate pastor, Matt Owen, he was at that meeting, too. He's standing behind the lady looking at me, and all the while he's mouthing, you're a liar. <laughs> and so I'm trying to talk to her and keep a straight face. He's just like, he's just like Aaron, holding your hands up, right? <laughs> yeah, Maybe thanks, not. Thanks for the help. <laughs> Now, as an aside, that couple are now faithful and beloved members of yeah. our church. So I thank the Lord about, for, yeah. for that. But it does underscore what so many people think, mm -hmm. that your objective is to get larger and larger, larger is better. You need to build bigger and better barns uh, as a result of your, quote, success, because in the American mind, numbers are success. Yeah, in fact, uh, you mentioned last week some associations of ministers and churches. Some of you might be familiar with some of these that he named, where numbers are really, they're explicitly yeah. touted as the measure of success. Exactly. I mentioned the Sword of the Lord mm -hmm. newsletter, and it has ads in it for churches and for evangelists and their ministries, and it in those ads has numbers, numbers of attendance at the churches, salvations, and baptisms are listed there. But mm -hmm. it's not unique to just that association of ministers and churches. Independent churches, though independent in the sense that we run our own affairs, still often independent, autonomous churches are part of voluntary fellowships or, uh, or associations. The mm -hmm. Southern Baptist Convention is, is an example. The, the SBC is not, contrary to what many people think, it's not a denomination in the sense that there's a hierarchy that can dictate to individual churches. Mm -hmm. But the churches have come together to pull their resources to support training institutions, Bible colleges, seminaries, missions projects, that kind of thing, for example. Well, in some parts of the SBC, the numbers game is really prominent. Mm. In fact, I read an article a few years ago by a Southern Baptist pastor who, when he was young, he was on staff at an SBC church serving under his senior pastor. They went to a pastor's fellowship, and he says a guy came up to him, and after they introduced themselves, this guy asked, what you running? Mm. Says it real fast, what you running? Please tell me he was like, uh, he named the speed of his mile or something. <laughs> he was just looked confused, he said. And he, his senior pastor can see he's confused and whispers to him, he wants to know what we're running in Sunday school, what you're running. Oh. What are you running? What numbers are you running? In the SBC, Sunday school was, I think still is, a big, big measure of success. So many people think that. Of course you'd want to be a megachurch if you could. The fact that you're not is because you can't, bless your heart. <laughs> bless you. <laughs> and, the, and the fact that you're talking about megachurch philosophies precisely because you're a wannabe. Hmm. You know, you're just, you're just jealous. Well, who knows what's lurking in our hearts, especially who knows what's lurking in your heart. So, so it's <laughs> <Thank> possible <you. laughs> that we are motivated by jealousy of the megachurch, but I, I really don't think so, and here's why. One, I hope that we saw last week, we'll see a little more this week, that the philosophy is contrary to Scripture. So I'm, I'm not jealous of that at all. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw some of that last week in 1 Corinthians 2, as you mentioned. And also, though, I don't think I'm jealous 
about it uh, because being a mega church, frankly, is not as hard as it may seem. There is a formula for making it happen, and if you plug in the formula, you actually have a good chance. Hmm. I actually think we could pull it off without really much trouble if we if we really wanted to. But we don't uh, because of, as you said, what underlies the right. philosophy. So, so what does underlie the present day manifestation of the mega church? Hmm. You talked about the Second Great Awakening and the kind of things that Charles Finney introduced to manufacture revival. Uh, back at that time. Mm-hmm. So how does that happen today? Well, we left off with we, me mentioning uh, a man named Donald McGavran, who taught at Fuller Seminary in California. He wrote a book in 1970 called Understanding Church Growth. And in that book, McGavran articulated a key feature of his church growth theory. It was known as the homogenous unit principle. Mm-hmm. And drawing from his experiences in India, of, as a missionary and his experiences of mass movements in India. Now, let me just pause for a second and have everybody just remember that in India, they still have a caste system. Mm-hmm. So if you start talking about a homogenous principle, oh, yeah. which is that people like to hang around with people like them, that you import from your experiences from a caste system, mm-hmm. that ought to raise red flags for you right away, at least in my mind. Yeah. And so that principle says that individuals are more likely to convert to Christianity in large numbers when they share similar demographics. And this homogenous principle means you you do a profile of the person you want to reach, and then you tailor your methods to him and her. So one megachurch developed, as I said last week, uh, and they wrote about unchurched Harry and Sally, Rich, Rick Warren at in California, had Saddleback Sam at Saddleback Community Church. Most of them are using the same McGavran playbook, even if they've long forgotten who McGavran was. Church growth was being promoted independently by McGavran at Fuller in Pasadena, California, and by a guy that many of you may remember. He's now a past, but Robert Schuler mm-hmm. at the uh, Crystal Cathedral, Crystal Cathedral yeah. in Garden Grove, California. Mm-hmm. So you have the homogenous principle from McGavran. You have psychology being brought into ministry in a big way through Schuler, who was trained in that. And you have quite a combination for, for training people. So I said, yeah. if we want to plug it in, we can, you know, the books are written on how to plug it in and do it if you really buy into the philosophy. Yeah. So, so how did that translate into what we know then today as the megachurch? So a, a guy, and you don't need to know these names, and I won't have a whole bunch of them, but just... Quiz on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> but just to give you the, the feel for how it went, there's a guy named Bob uh, Buford. Buford just passed away a, a couple of years ago, but he was a businessman. He was a cable executive in Texas, hmm. uh, and, and he connected with business management guru... Some of you may know this name, Peter Drucker. Hmm. Peter Drucker wrote a lot of management books and uh, helped a lot of companies along. But he introduced uh, Drucker's thinking to the church. Oh, wow. Yeah. Drucker not only extensively mentored this guy, Buford, who started something called the Leadership Network and influenced lots and lots of churches, Buford did, but through introductions by Buford, he mentored several pastors like Saddleback's Rick Warren. No kidding. So well, Peter Drucker had a direct re- a relationship wow. to him. Bill Hybels, Bill Hybels, who started 
this church in Chicago that we're going to get to, Willow Creek Community Church. Heibel sought out Robert Schuler for advice. When Heibel was in the beginning stages of Willow Creek uh, outside of Chicago, in fact, it was Schuler who encouraged Heibel to purchase the 50-acre campus. Hmm. You and I went there once in 04. Yeah. Uh, was it that long ago? 04. Can you wow. believe that? I know. But we went there. So if I've been to the campus one time, is that the yeah. only time you've been Same as well? Same here. Yeah, it was like a mall. Like a mall on purpose, yeah. you know, to give this neutral feel. I mean, there's no, there's nothing left to chance here. It's all just, but it's in the book. It's how to, you know, mm-hmm. you've got just follow the steps, turn key. This mm-hmm. is the way you do it. And so the 50-acre beautiful campus, but mall feel to the building on purpose, uh, where it sits in South Barrington, Illinois. But it was Schuler who said, I encourage you to go big and, mm. and purchase this and have this big vision. So Willow is the church in the Chicago area that I mentioned earlier that completely, and this is a big statement, but I make it without reservation, completely changed the landscape mm. of evangelical church life for 40 years. I can see that, yeah. Both Willow and, now get this, and Crystal Cathedral are... Crystal Cathedral doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. So here you have this thing comes along and affects evangelical church life for decades. And it is not deep enough and does not have a firm enough foundation that it can survive Robert Schuler's passing. Mm. They tried to pass it on to his son. Didn't work. They got into all kinds of squabbles about who was supposed to be running the thing. Hmm. Do you know that what was the Crystal Cathedral and its property is now owned by a Catholic or Roman Catholic organization? Hmm. Willow Creek, I mean, it still exists. Uh, and but Hybels had to step down from the ministry a few years ago with his with his own moral scandals. So both of them are left in in shambles, as are many people that were left in their wake. Yeah. So, so how did Willow Creek start, and what's its impact today? So it's in, as I say, outside of Chicago. Willow Creek started with this, this man, Bill Hybels, who led the church for, for decades. And it started in the late 70s. And Hybels was on staff at another church in the Chicago area, and he ran their youth ministry. In fact, the hmm. youth ministry was called Sun City, S-O-N, you Sun City. Watch out for City. those guys who start off in youth those ministry. Those youth guys, yeah, you gotta got to watch them. <laughs> But what he did was he did a survey, Hybels did, a marketing survey to say, what do you mm. want? Why don't you come to church? Mm. And what would, what would we need to do to have you come to church? Mm-hmm. And so they gave, they gave the answers. You know, the sermons are too long. They're too, they're too boring. Yeah, there's a shocker. People would say that, right? <laughs> the music is too old. It's too so, you know, give me some rock and roll. Give me some, give me some. Um, give me some motivational speaking, you know, mm. that kind of thing. And so Bill Hybels puts together a church based upon answers he gets from the world mm. about seems, what they want in a church. Seems like a flawed approach. Would seem. So he gave it to them. Well, lo and behold, it's wildly successful if numbers are the measure of mm. success. But, you know, it's been copied then throughout the country over and over same playbook. There's an association called the Willow Creek Association, and there are hundreds and hundreds, a few thousands of churches, I don't know the number, in the country. When you see a mega church, there's a decent chance that the mega church is part of the Willow Creek Association and simply mimicking what Willow Creek Mm -hmm. did. 
I've, I've got to imagine there are tons of negative effects of this. What are the negative effects yeah, of well this? Then, now, so pastors now really need to be entrepreneurs. Hmm. You know, this, this is all flowing from, you know, Peter Drucker and, and McGavran coming up with this homogenous principle and all of that, none of which is in the, in the Bible. So mm-hmm. the skills now necessary to be a pastor are more entrepreneurial, uh, business principles. Mm. The Chicago area, where Willow Creek is, is kind of the mecca of evangelicalism, has been for decades and decades. It's where Christianity Today is located, lots of evangelical publish- publishing houses, the, the evangelical Christian school uh, kind of the Harvard, actually referred to as the Harvard of evangelicalism, Wheaton, mm-hmm. is in Wheaton, Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, you know, outside of Chicago. And you got all these megachurches then that developed with the Willow Creek model, but then others that said, you know, Willow Creek's got something here. I want to tweak it. I want to make a better mousetrap. I want to make it better. Harvest Bible Chapel, James mm-hmm. McDonald, mm-hmm. Rolling Meadow, Illinois, is located there. So a lot of negative effects, which is just the evangelicalism was just infected with the Willow Creek megachurch philosophy. And when these things are founded on and dependent on a personality, then like like James McDonald in in Harvest Mm -hmm. and the tragedy that's happened, just ridiculous and sad what's happened there, then pressure mounts on that personality enormously. Mm -hmm. But they're not victims. They lust for it. Mm. They want it. But they pay the price personally, as do their devoted followers. You know, as pastors, we should be trying to put ourselves out of a job. Mm. We should be training people, equipping people for the work of the ministry. It should not be focused on us. Yeah. And if we're gone, there should be others who can who can step in. I, I just, that puts me in mind of, uh, interestingly, an interview, I think it was not really necessary an interview, it was a three-part, three-person discussion with James McDonald, um, Mark Dever, and Mark Driscoll. And that's the exact question Mark Dever what brought up to them. What doesn't fit here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of those guys doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was the question he put to them is, Dever. aren't you aren't you concerned about how much this is built on your personality? Um, and they both kind of no, just dismissed it. Of course it. not. Yeah. And they both imploded yeah. since then. Yeah. At the time they did that, quite I saw that. Quite I mean, would I be accurate? Was I say quite cocky? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, very much so. Oh, yeah. we've got it. We know the deal. And here's Mark Dever. They actually kind of pushed back saying you're making a mistake by not uh, doing what we're Guess doing. Guess what? One of them's still in the ministry. Yeah. And one of them still has a solid church, very solid church. That's helping churches be solid churches for yeah. the future. And then the yeah. others are not. You build on a personality. So negative effects. You're building on personalities, entrepreneurs. But also people are warehoused hmm. in these mega churches. They're warehoused rather than discipled. And Willow Creek found that out. They did a survey after years of doing this seeker-sensitive thing and doing what the survey said people wanted and giving it to them and being wildly successful in terms of numbers. But then you know, somebody on staff at some point, and maybe it was Heibel's himself, said, are people really getting Christianity? Mm. They're showing up. They love showing up. They're showing up in droves. But are they being discipled? So they asked basic questions in a survey. They're big on surveys. But mm-hmm. they surveyed the attenders. So what do you know about basic Christian doctrine? Oh, man. 
Oh, that, that's terrifying that you would have people regularly yeah. attend yeah. who can't yeah. then identify basic exactly. biblical truth. Lots of negative effects. Mm. So we started out by asking our mega churches man-centered. Yeah. So it seems they are in a number of ways. Yeah, here, absolutely. First, they start out with an audience-centered approach, which is what the Corinthians wanted and Paul refused. It's what Finney promoted in his manufactured revivals. I say manufactured because mm. Finney said that these revivals can indeed just be created by the right use of means. He could, you could produce them. And it's what numbers of people are promoting when they tout bigger is better and they emphasize quantity of converts over quality of disciples. Mm. The, the megachurches take what they themselves call seeker-sensitive which means the focus is on the, the audience, and in particular, presenting the preacher and the message and the entire presentation in a way that's pleasing to the audience. Mm-hmm. So are they man-centered? I mean, they are, they're in effect saying so. You yeah. know, we're, yeah. it's, it's, it's based upon, we take the survey, what do you in- want? We'll give it to you intentionally so. Mm-hmm. Listen, you're never going to be able to do what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.28. It's our church's theme verse. It's posted mm-hmm. in our auditorium. We put it in lots of our material, and Paul said there, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our objective, but as I say, you're never going to be able to do that if you take this man-centered approach. Mm-hmm. So maybe, uh, let's see, we might have time for just one more kind of area okay. to explore here. So most mega churches, not all as we said, right. um, are based on a philosophy of giving them what they want. Mm-hmm. I just, one more time <laughs> as we think about this, really, how could that be the chosen approach? Yeah, and, and doing so uh, explicitly so, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so you, you ask them what they want. That's what Willow Creek did. And you create a church to give them, give them what they mm-hmm. want. But then you have other people that now take a similar approach. You mentioned Mark Driscoll. Mm-hmm. So Mark Driscoll, some of you may remember, he had his flash in the pan for you know probably a good 15 years and out in Seattle and made a huge splash, and he became the flavor of the decade. Mm-hmm. But it was personality-driven as well, and he was he was finding out what people in Seattle responded to, giving it to them. But it became so focused on Driscoll again, pressure on Driscoll, and he implodes. His whole Mars Hill, that was the name of his church, I mean, they had churches around the country as well. The whole thing hmm. imploded because Mark Driscoll imploded. And we get asked as pastors, you get asked all the time, don't you? We get mm-hmm. asked about, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? Yeah. Have you heard about, well, what about, you know, listen, friends, listen, brothers and sisters, you know, the, God wrote a book. He, he tells mm-hmm. us how to do this. You know, the Apostle Paul modeled how to do this. We're, we're doing our level best to model how to do this along the lines of what Scripture says. I don't honestly, I don't really care what the flavor of the month is, what the flavor of the decade is. I don't care who wrote the next the next book. We're not trying to mimic that, but we get asked about it all the time. As I said earlier, there's always somebody building a better mousetrap out there. Uh, let me let me just make a couple of distinctions here okay. that might be helpful. It might occur to you if you're still awake and listening. <laughs> but you know, one word to describe what 
the mega churches with the seeker sensitive philosophy underlying them are doing is pragmatism mm -hmm. pragmatism the ends justify the means that's that's pragmatism pragmatism is doing not just what works doing whatever works <laughs> whatever huh? doing whatever works because there is a difference between being pragmatic pragmatism and being practical I, I actually believe in being practical mm -hmm. here's the difference someone who's being practical has surveyed all of the acceptable things you could do and then takes those that are most feasible out of that list that's being practical mm -hmm. but being pragmatic says whatever the world wants we'll give it to them we'll add it to our list we'll add it to our list exactly there's no filtering of the list through a biblical grid mm -hmm. The list is filtered by the audience. Yeah. So pragmatism versus practical. And then also marketing. We talked about church marketing. The pastors become marketers, entrepreneurs. So there's marketing versus advertising. Our church has done a lot of advertising over the mm -hmm. years. And we put money in our budget yeah. to let people know, you know who we are, let them know we're here. But here's the big difference is that advertising, advertising tells people who you are. Mm-hmm. Marketing, at least the way I'm using it. Now, those of you that are marketers and if you're in business marketing and this is not your definition of marketing, you don't need to write to me. But this is the way I, I'm using it. And that is you, you become what they want you to be. Mm -hmm. Advertising is telling people who you are. And then people can either take that or leave that. But marketing is becoming what people want you yeah. to be. And that's exactly what. So what happens then? I, I would add to that just as a former marketing yes. guy. Yeah, see, I knew I'd get <laughs> that, pushed back from somebody. <laughs> no, I think that's a good <laughs> distinction, but I might I would just say even further, and this is the term I've heard that camp use, mm. market driven. Ah, yeah. Market driven. So yeah. so marketing, I think marketing and advertising, some if anybody isn't advertising and or marketing and they think that's not a fair distinction. Gotcha. It's it's not that there's something wrong with marketing, because marketing yeah. also is is strategically figuring out how to broadcast who you are. But being market driven is you look around at the market and, they and say, what should we be? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yep. So if that's the case, if you're audience driven, market driven, seeker sensitive, mm -hmm. all of that, if you are all of that, inevitably, then it is going to affect the message. I mean, yeah. the mantra yeah. of these guys is always, look, the methods change, the message never does. Don't give me that. Don't give me that the message never does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pritchard in a book that I think I mentioned last week, maybe not, but it's a book called Willow Creek Seeker Services. Okay. He did an analysis of this and just an exhaustive analysis. And he had no axe to, ground to grind against Willow Creek. He wasn't looking to find fault. He spent a year at Willow Creek. And with interviewing the staff, they knew he was writing a book. So he writes this book. If you're interested in it, Willow Creek Seeker Services, G.A. Pritchard. He documents a year's worth of sermons from Bill Hybels. And how many times he uses the word love, how many times he uses the word holiness. Hmm. Love is used oh, in, in one year over and over and over again, hundreds of times. Holiness is used a handful of times. Hmm. Now look at the Bible and see mm -hmm. the number of times God is holy is used. God is love too, for sure. Yeah. Something's out of whack here. Why is it out of whack? Because which one does that audience want to hear? Mm -hmm. They want to hear about a God who approves of me, a God who loves me, not this holy God whose standard I don't meet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just got a testimony this week from someone who 
is attending a church like that, and they don't want to, but they're in a situation that uh, is, is not to their liking. And this is what this person said. They said, you know, I'm struggling to put into words or figure out why, and then they named this Willow Creek Association Church, hmm. why it doesn't seem right. They have a lot of truth in the messages, scripture to back up what they say, but still I feel something is off or missing. They said, they regularly call people to ask Christ into their lives, but then they said this, they don't use the language the Bible uses, like confess or sin. They instead say things like regret or mistakes. Mm-hmm. So so there, it's a struggle to grow in a church like this, yeah. it sounds like. You know, some do, of course, you know, but but not very many per willow itself in that survey that revealed people who attended for years knew very little of Christian truth. Listen, there's a difference between converts and disciples, and the mm-hmm. Great Commission says Jesus said, go and make, not converts, go and make disciples, yeah. teaching them to observe everything that I've, I've commanded you. And so uh, there are some people who grow, but overall the philosophy and the erroneous philosophy overtakes what happens, and over time it is not contrary to what it may look like. It's not accomplishing what Jesus gave us to do. Yeah. Well, that that seems like a pretty good place to uh, pretty good place to end. I think we're about at time there. So thank you all for joining us for this discussion. As I said, make sure you uh, check out next week's episode as well as we'll be kind of springboarding off of this into some other related topics. So uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.